As we turn to Scripture, let's pray together. Oh God, pour out your Spirit upon us that we may hear your ancient words in a new key. Inspire us to sing your praise and follow your way. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 49. Let's all listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God has become my strength. Now he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers, kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week we talked about baptism, and I talked about how Martin Luther, one of the fathers of the Protestant Reformation, when, when he was anxious or distressed, he would touch his hand to his head and he would repeat the words, I am baptized, as a reminder that he was always carried along by the grace of God. And then I invited people to do the same. I don't know, those of you who were here, maybe you participated. As they left the sanctuary, I invited people to touch the baptismal waters with their fingers and then touch their forehead and remember their baptism. Remember that they live by God's grace, that grace which flows to us and through us like water. This is the deepest truth we know. This is the truest truth of our lives. This is the best good news we've got. And I hope you hear it and let it settle deep within your soul. Grace is the first word of the Christian faith, and we can't say it enough. But if grace is the first word, another word is just behind it in importance, and that word is calling Baptism isn't only about God's grace washing over us, it's also about God calling us, God drafting us into divine service. And this does not apply just to exceptionally holy people, if we can find any of those. It applies to all of us, the big and the small, the young and the old, the saintly and the sinful, and everyone in between. We are all called and so today, with 
much fear and trembling. Let's talk about what it means to be a servant of God. Now, our reading from Isaiah is one of the so-called servant songs. These are poems describing a mysterious figure called the servant of God. We don't know who the servant was. Even Isaiah doesn't seem to know. And the Christian tradition has always seen the person of Christ in these songs, and that's well and good, but, but we shouldn't stop there because that lets us off the hook too easily. The servant could be anyone, even you. And so let's spend a moment looking at Isaiah's servant song to see what it teaches us about being a servant of God. Two things jump out immediately from Isaiah. First, we don't have much of a choice in whether or not we're called to be a servant. Did you notice this? The song says, the Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. It's not like we sat down and reviewed the compensation package and then decided we would fill out a divine servant application. No, before we even drew our first breath, before we even knew our own names, we were already recruited to be a part of the divine work in the world. That's one of the reasons we baptize infants in our tradition as a reminder that God claims us and calls us before we can even respond. How often as children, and for some of us as adults, have we been asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? You ever been asked that question? Well, in an important sense, that question has already been answered for us. Like it or not, whatever career path we choose, we were drafted into divine service before we had any say in the matter. There's another thing that jumps out at me from this servant song. So much of the song is about how things weren't going well for the servant. Did you notice that? I have labored in vain, the servant says. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Things weren't going according to plan, and the servant was ready to give up, ready to resign. Did you notice how God responds to that? It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to the tribes of Jacob. That's too small. I will give you as a light to the nations that my, my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Despite the servant's apparent failure, God is expanding their mission. See, that's the mystery of divine grace at work, turning our failures into victories, turning our weaknesses into strengths. Look at some famous servants of God. A Jewish carpenter is executed by the Roman Empire, and yet here we are almost 2,000 years later sharing in his spirit and following in his footsteps. A soft-spoken man named Mahatma Gandhi overthrows the British Empire in India without firing a shot. An unassuming woman named Rosa Parks refuses to move to the back of the bus and a system of segregation begins to collapse. And as we celebrate this weekend, a Baptist preacher named Martin Luther King Jr. 
dreams of a day when his children will have the same freedoms and opportunities promised to every child in America, and his imagination and courage changes the hearts and the laws of our nation. See, that's divine grace at work, turning seeming defeats into glorious victories. Now, most of us will serve in smaller ways. Most of us won't topple empires or found new religions. But the point is, God uses even our smallness, even sometimes our defeats, to redeem the world. And all we have to do, all we have to do is make ourselves available. It was Francis de Salle who said, there is nothing small in the service of God. No loving word, no breath of hope, no lightness of being that lifts another burden, no small, ordinary, everyday act of kindness is ever wasted. Nothing small in the service of God. A minister talks about the night he decided to leave the ministry and it was also the night he decided to stay in the ministry. It was my day off and the phone rang and it was the chaplain at a nearby hospital. All she said was, come to the hospital now. When I arrived 10 minutes later, I found the chaplain with a young couple from our church. The room was eerily silent. There was a heaviness in the air. Their child, Caroline, whom I had baptized a couple of weeks earlier, had just been diagnosed with a malignant tumor intertwined with her spinal cord at the base of her brain. Engulfed by this massive medical center, we were shuffled from one room to another. No one spoke. And I felt particularly conspicuous for not speaking. Say something, I kept telling myself. Read a Bible verse, say a prayer, do something. About that time, the pediatric oncologist came in, calm, intelligent, well-trained, impressive. I remember him being very tall. He had a plan. As he unfolded his strategy, I remembered those smart grown-ups who had advised me to go to medical school. And I wished I had because as a minister, I had nothing to offer these people that I love so much. Had I gone to medical school, I could have done something. I kept listening to him, hanging on every word, envy rising, regret surging. Not only should I have gone to medical school, I should not have gone into ministry. I felt so impotent. So I decided to resign and do something else, anything else for the rest of my life. The details were fuzzy, but I knew I couldn't live out the charade of praying for head colds and knee replacements when I was totally powerless in the face of real pain. More tests were done. Surgery would be required in the morning. The initial rush of family and friends began to drift away. Caroline had been poked and prodded all afternoon and evening, was crying incessantly. Why was I still there? Then Caroline's parents asked me for a favor. We're exhausted. Caroline won't stop crying. Could you hold her for a little while so we can just step out and catch our breath? And so I took the child in my arms and rocked her. She cried 
and I cried. And then having expended all her energy, she drifted off to sleep. And I kept rocking her until her parents came back, a little bit rested, relieved to see her at peace. We placed her gently in the crib, and then I left them, took the elevator downstairs, and stepped through the door into the night. And as I felt the chill against my face, I knew I would not quit the ministry, not tonight. It was as if my whole life had been preparing for this dark evening, all the wrestling with what career to pursue, counsel from professors, the books, the papers, degrees, hurdles of ordination. I had been training for this day so that I could give two parents a little bit of rest and rock a very sick child to sleep. Why did I go into the ministry? To do something grand and impressive or because I thought I might love somebody, some family, some child. Holding Caroline, I wondered, isn't this what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus when he was sick during the night? Isn't this what God has been doing with me all these years? And so on one night, I was able to help. I held a child. I fulfilled my calling, the smallness of it turning out to be its beauty. As Teresa of Avila said, Christ has no body now but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ looks out on a hurting world. Yours are the feet with which he goes about doing good. How else is God to hold a sick child except with our arms? How else is God to love a broken world except with our hearts and our hands? We were called to serve before our first breath, and God will not accept our resignation. So let us answer the call. How might you use what you've been given, your hands and your feet and your eyes and your heart, your energy and imagination and resources, your simple, stubborn willingness to show up and stay put, how might you use these in service to God? I know in the face of the world's suffering, I know these can seem like such small things, but there is nothing small in the service of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.